If you're new, I'm Jamie, and I am also one of the pastors here. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that is page 61 of the church Bible. We've started a series in the Ten Commandments, and today we'll be considering the Second Commandment. And so I'll read all of the Ten Commandments, and then ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then uh, to work in the Second Commandment. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me, And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Then the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in them. And we ask now that you would come and that you would give us understanding according to your word so that we would see your son Jesus, so that we would rejoice in your son Jesus, so that we would become more like your son Jesus. Teach us now what it means to keep the second commandment. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. 
Well, what if I told you that on my wedding anniversary, I bought four gifts for my wife? And the first was a box of carnations. And the second was a box of cigars. And, this, and the third were tickets to WrestleMania and to country concert. And the fourth gift was a picture of myself with a massive mustache, holding hands with a six-foot-tall woman with red hair, and a caption which read, I love you, Sarah. What would you think? Well, you might think that I have good taste and I married a woman with good taste. But if you knew my wife, you'd be real confused, wouldn't you? Because, of course, my wife is not six foot tall. Carnations are not her favorite flower. She's never smoked a cigar. And she's not really into the WWE, besides the fact that she really does not like mustaches on me. And because she's a woman of refined taste, she also doesn't like country music. If you do, I, ha I offer biblical counseling for such things. The first commandment in the Ten Commandments forbids the worship of the wrong God. We looked at that last week. The second commandment in the Ten Commandments forbids the worship of the right God in the wrong way. It forbids a misrepresentation of God and the false worship of God. So the first two commandments charge all people to worship the right God in the right way. And those gifts which I gave to my wife would not honor her. They would be confusing to her and to everyone who knows her. She doesn't like those things. And the photograph itself would be the most confusing and offensive of all the gifts. That's not her in the picture. She's a woman. She's not that woman. And if I gave those gifts to her, it would communicate to her that either I don't know her or I do know her and don't care what she likes. Well, friends, we do the same thing when we worship God in the wrong way. We misrepresent who He is, and we communicate that we either don't know God or we don't care what He likes. This is the essence of the second commandment. Here's the big idea this morning. Worship God in the way He has prescribed. Worship God in the way He has prescribed. So if you have your Bible open in Exodus 20, keep your finger there in Exodus 20. We'll come back. But just turn a few pages ahead to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Moses is on the mountain, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments and the law of God, and he's been up there for a little while. And the people at the base of the mountain begin wondering what has happened to Moses. Where is he? Our boy's 80 years old, so maybe he died on the mountain, sleeping outside. But they get tired of waiting, and let's see what they decide to do while they're waiting on Moses to come down. 
mountain. This is Exodus 32, beginning at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Oh, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know where he, what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the Lord. Before, he built an altar before it, and Moses and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, I used to think that the golden calf was an idol to a false god a violation of the first commandment, but it isn't. It's a violation of the second commandment. Notice verse 4, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then again in verse 5, Aaron says, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh, the Lord. The golden calf was a graven image to the one true God. It was false worship of the true God. It was a breaking of the second commandment. So we'll have a closer look at the second commandment. Three points to guide us through, similar to last week. The first point is the ten commandment, or the second commandment, explained. The second commandment explained. And then we'll consider the second commandment broken. And then finally we'll consider the second commandment fulfilled. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Let's read verses 4 to 6 one more time. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There are four parts to this text, the command itself, then the cause of the command itself, and then a warning, and then a promise. And We'll look at each in that order. So first, the command itself. Don't make a carved image. The second commandment does not forbid the making of images wholesale. It is not a sin to make a sculpture of a bird or to paint a picture of your dog. Artwork was commanded by God in the construction of the tabernacle. This is in the context of worship, making images to be used in worship of God is what is forbidden by the second commandment. 
I told you last week that each of the Ten Commandments has a photo negative. The second commandment forbids the use of images in worship. So don't make images of God and don't use images in the worship of God. That's the negative. So the positive is that we are to worship God in the right way, meaning in the way God has prescribed. In the Bible, God has revealed how He desires His people to worship Him. And so that means that going to church on the Lord's Day is not like going to a -a Build-A-Bear. You don't get to choose what you want to do in worship and make this thing that you want. God has told us how He wants to be worshipped. And you'll see this as we move along. We start with His statement not to carve images for yourself. Now, first thing I want you to notice in the second commandment is that it reads, do not make for yourself a carved image. Not, not, do not make for me, God, a carved image. Don't make for yourself a carved image. And so the question is, why, why is this even a temptation? Like, why would we want to make an, a physical representation of God in worship? I've thought a lot about this in preparation for this message. It, it may be many things, but here are a few things. One reason why we would want a physical representation of God in worship is it's a way for us to shrink God. Like if God is truly the uncreated creator and the unsustained sustainer of all things, if he is truly infinite and immortal and unchangeable, well, that makes him also unmanageable. He's too big too invasive, too demanding. We can't avoid him. We can't skirt around him. He requires too much from us. And so wouldn't it be just so much better if God could be contained, incorporated with clear boundaries, because then there would be places where God is and places where God isn't. And I don't know, that just feels safer. Another reason we want a physical representation of God is that we want to be able to make God into some shape that we want him to be. We want to be able to make and shape God any way we want. Not like a a raging bull, which is dangerous and scary and, and some might consider unapproachable. But what if we were to make him into like, maybe say, a calf? Cute. Cuddly. Maybe a little pretty, far more approachable. Because then people would like him better. And then all of a sudden we become like God's publicist, self-appointed publicist for God to manage the Lord's reputation and to protect him from himself. Well, there's other reasons. 
if God can become an object, well, then he's useful. I can take him out and use him and then put him away when I'm done. You know, Israel tried this once. Do you remember 1 Samuel chapter 4? Israel got beat up pretty good by their enemies, the Philistines. And to get back at them, they thought that they would bring out their secret weapon in battle. The Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was the holiest object used in the worship of God. It was a golden box where the presence of God dwelt on earth in a concentrated form. And Israel tried to make the Ark into like a good luck charm. Sort of like the Hulk to the Avengers. It made them invincible. There's no way they could lose if they would have the ark with them. And so they carried the ark into battle. And you know the story. They lost and the ark was captured. It was devastating in more than one way. You see, what Israel failed to understand was that God may have dwelt with the Ark of the Covenant, but God was not contained in the Ark of the Covenant. He's not a genie in a lamp. The Ark of the Covenant was just a box overlaid with gold. It did not contain God, and nor was it God. So we're attracted to graven images. Because they're a way for us to contain God, to make Him manageable, to make Him useful, a way to keep an eye on Him. Like if I know He's over there and I'm over here, we're good. And I can approach Him on my own terms in any way that I want, in any way that suits me. It's a bit like treating God as if He has a house He has a room in your house, but you own the rest of the house. And God forbids turning him into an image because that's not how God has revealed himself. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Listen to these words. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, which is Sinai, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. You you may have heard the phrase that the medium is the message. And it's true. God has revealed himself to Israel through words. Not through images, not through the image of a bull or a snake or a shark or a kitten. God has revealed himself through the words that he spoke to Moses and the prophets. And that was to dominate his people's understanding of who he was. God's word was to be their source of their knowledge of him. Can you imagine what might have happened had God allowed and left his people's experience of him to be the definition of him? Well, this is how I experience God. Well, then they would be sovereign over him, wouldn't they? 
He could never tell them to do anything that they didn't want to do. And maybe that's true in your life. I hope not. But if the God you serve can't tell you something you don't want to hear, then you're not serving God. You're serving yourself. So to make an image of God is to misrepresent Him. It's an attempt to contain that which cannot be contained. To make an image of God in a painting or a drawing or through a sculpture is to make God small. But God is immense. It's to make God inanimate. But God is a spirit. It is to give God a beginning. But God is eternal. It is to make God perishable. But God is immortal. To make an image of God is to misrepresent Him. It's the same as me taking a picture with a woman who is not my wife and calling her my wife. It dishonors my wife. The second commandment not only forbids the making of images of God, but it also forbids the use of images in the worship of God. And so as God's people, we do not attach spiritual value to images in worship. Attaching spiritual power to images, to places, to things in worship is forbidden by the second commandment. And this is why across the world, Protestant houses of worship are rather plain. It's not that we hate art or artwork. It's about the second commandment. Because no man-made image commends us to God or commends God to us. Pastor Brent read it at the call to worship in Acts chapter 17. God does not live in temples made with human hands, nor is he served by human hands. He's not like gold or silver or stone or some image formed in the art and imagination of man. And so we do not attach spiritual value to images or objects in the worship of God, nor do we attach spiritual value to places. Listen, there is no more spiritual value to you getting baptized in the Jordan River, even if you're standing on the same spot as the Lord himself. It's no more spiritually valuable than if you got baptized in this baptismal behind me. Because there is no value attached to images, objects, or places. God does not dwell in a temple made by you. He doesn't live here. So it's not like when you leave here today, you get a wave, see a God, catch you later next week. He doesn't live here. This is not his house. This is a place dedicated to his worship, but he doesn't live here. So that's the second commandment. No images of God, no use of images in the worship of God. That doesn't answer the question as to why. Why does God care so much about the second commandment? Well, the answer to that is right there in the middle of verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The reason we keep the second commandment is that our God is a jealous God. 
Now, we, we generally think of jealousy as a negative thing. And it's usually, it, it is a negative thing. But jealousy is not wrong when it's right. That's real deep. You're welcome. So what is jealousy? Jealousy is zeal to have and to keep what is rightfully yours. Jealousy is a zeal to have and to keep what is rightfully Lord, yours. And this is different from coveting, and it is different from envy. Coveting is when we want something that someone else has. Envy is when I'm unhappy with what I have because someone else has something different, something better. So God can be jealous, but he can't be envious. And he can't be covetousness. He can't, he can't, he can't be covetous because everything belongs to him. So he can't covet something someone else has. He already has it. And he can't be envious because, of course, he owns everything. He is jealous because he deserves all the praise and the credit for all things. And when his worship is given to someone or something else other than him, he's jealous over that worship. He's jealous to receive what is rightfully his, the glory that he should receive from his creatures. So remember last week we talked about the relationship of God being like akin to that of a husband and a wife. And this is how God's jealousy over his people makes sense. It's how it's just. A husband is right to desire and expect his wife's affection. And he is right to be jealous if she gives that affection to someone else. God is jealous over his worship. Of his people. He is jealous over his rightful place in your life. He deserves first place in your life. He's the only one who deserves that place. And he is jealous over having that first place in your life. And his jealousy is for your good and for his glory. The reason God forbids the making of images of him and the use of images in worship of him is because those things aren't him. They don't represent him. And he is jealous, zealous over his name, his reputation, his representation of himself on the earth. And when God's people give their worship to anything other than God, it is wrong. And when God's people worship him in a way that he has not prescribed, it dishonors him. That's the second commandment. That's the cause of the second commandment. And now quickly, let's work through the warning and the promise. The warning for those who worship God falsely is that he would visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? Does it mean that just because someone's dad was a screw-up that God's going to punish the kids? Well, not exactly. And nor does this Nor is this in reference to something like generational curses. And we know this because there's a couple of verses that we can go to that that tell us that God doesn't act like this. Deuteronomy 24.16 says that children should not be put to death for their father's sin. Ezekiel 18.20 says the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. So how how do we balance those two things? When we read here that God visits the iniquity of the father on the children. Well, notice the end of verse 5. God is visiting the iniquity upon those who hate God. 
The third and fourth generation share in their father's punishment because they're sharing in their father's sin. So no, God does not spank toddlers because their dad is a bonehead. What's in view here is that the habits of the fathers are passed on to the children. Dad's boneheadedness will certainly affect his kids. The kids then don't have the excuse to say, well, that's just what I learned from my old man. I'm a jerk to my kids because that's how I was raised. We can't excuse disobedience by pointing to our upbringing. So having a bad dad isn't a hall pass to be a bad dad. This warning is accompanied by a promise that God will show mercy to thousands of those who love Him. And this is meant to be a contrast between the two. Three to four generations for iniquity, thousands for those who receive mercy. The Bible teaches that God must be moved to anger. But He never has to be moved to mercy. His, His mercy is abundant. It is free. The Lord's disposition is to be merciful, to be gracious, He does not have to be talked into showing mercy. It's who he is. He loves to give grace. He loves to give mercy. The Lord is long-suffering. Our sins, though they are many, his mercy is more. And God must be driven to anger, but never driven to mercy. So that's the second commandment explained. Now let's look and consider how the second commandment is broken. So by show of hands, how many of you here today would be willing to say that you have a carved image of God in your home right now? How many of you have a golden calf on the mantle in your home? None of you? Good. Moving on to point three. Compared to the first commandment, it seems that the second commandment is a rather piece of a cake. But maybe we shouldn't be so quick to check off the second commandment. Because remember, it's right worship of the right God in the right way. And how many of you, by show of hands, are willing to say that your whole life you have worshipped the right God in the right way? So maybe we should dig into what this means. We'll start with the easy parts which we'll find out real quickly, it's not so easy. We break the the, the second commandment when we depict God in art. Michelangelo may have been a fine fellow. He broke the second commandment at the Sistine Chapel when he depicted God as a naked European man with a beard. Because God does not have a body. God is a spirit. And to give him a body is to misrepresent him. What about Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus had a body. And so now we get to the harder question. Do we break the second commandment with our nativity scenes? 
Do we break the second commandment when we use pictures in kids' classes and in children's books? Well, we should acknowledge that Christians throughout history have landed on different places with regard to the making of pictures of Jesus. It is a matter of personal conviction. But we should all agree on a few things. That God the Father is a spirit. And to give him a body is to misrepresent him. But Jesus had a body. So is it wrong to depict Jesus in art? Well, we can all also agree on the fact that it is wrong to use an image of Christ in the worship of Christ. And I don't think it is accidental that the Bible gives us zero depictions of Jesus' physical appearance. And so, any physical representation of Jesus should, at the very least, give us reasons to pause. Now, my personal conviction is that I don't think it is necessarily wrong to use pictures of Jesus in teaching children or in children's books. In fact, what I would say is the more artistic the depiction, the better. Because the artist is not trying to show us what Jesus actually looked like. Nor is the artist trying to invoke worship from us by giving us this image. But it's not so simple. The second commandment is more subtle than simply making statues and worshiping, I don't know, apparitions of the Virgin Mary on toast. It is presenting God in any way that misrepresents Him. It is defining God in any way that He has not Himself described. Or any way that minimizes the truth of who He is. So let's dig deeper. We break the second commandment. When we present God wrongly. And we can do this when we emphasize one truth about Him at the exclusion of another. So an example would be an effort, in an effort to make God more palatable more suitable to modern sensibilities so that we might reach more people, we might emphasize one attribute of God while we neglect another. We might highlight God's love and hide those bits about God's wrath for sin and sinners. We might praise God for His inclusion of all people into His family. And then cover up the stuff He says about homosexuality and gender and sex outside of marriage. We might exalt Him for creating heaven and then seek to exonerate Him for creating hell. Well, we might receive anyone into church membership, but fearing that church discipline turns God into a judgmental person, we never do it. 
as Midwesterners, we might press hard on God's call to personal responsibility and hard work and individual accountability. And then we might neglect the stuff that God says about feeding the poor, giving generously, mutual dependence on one another. All of this is misrepresenting who God is. It is breaking the second commandment. And church, this is why we must be a word-centered church. Expositional, verse-by-verse must be our diet. It keeps us in balance. God has told us in His Word who He is. He has told us how He is to be worshipped. And so our Sunday mornings cannot be a -a Build-A-Bear. They cannot be a customized version of the worship experience that is set by our personal preferences. We do not honor the Lord with our inventions and innovations in worship. These are simply our attempt to make God like us or to make him more acceptable to our culture. And so everything that we do at worship on the Lord's day must be drawn from the pages of God's word and centered around God's word. And the use of some visuals in worship may not be wrong, But let's remember that God has willed faith to come by hearing. Whatever visuals we permit in worship, on the screens, on the stage, must be drawn from Scripture and carefully thought over. And the Word must be central. Let's go deeper still. The reason, well, the reach of the second commandment doesn't start and end on the Lord's day. Because as you know, worship is for all of life. You are worshiping God on Monday just as you are worshiping Him right now. Your life is your worship to your God. I would direct you to Romans chapter 12. We break the second commandment when we don't worship God in the way He has prescribed with our lives. Take a look at verse 4 again. If you're familiar with how the Bible begins, two words should stand out to you in this verse. Where have you seen these words, image and likeness, appear together? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. God forbids making images in His likeness to represent Him to the world because He has already made images in His likeness to represent Him to the world. God made man in His image to display, to reflect, to represent Him to the world. And we blew it. 
by turning away from God, we have disfigured the image of God. Just consider God is a giver. And we're takers. God is a builder. And how often do we tear things down? God is a forgiver. And how often do we hold grudges? God takes notice of the needy. And how often do we turn a blind eye? The image of God in man has been marred by sin. But God did not leave his image and his image bearers to complete ruin. He came to them. And that brings us to the last and final point. The second commandment fulfilled. You see, 2,000 years after Moses finally came down off that mountain, tablets in hand, an angel was dispatched to a virgin named Mary. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, wrapped himself in human flesh. He is the fulfillment of the second commandment. Colossians 1.15 calls him the image of the invisible God. You see, mankind was made in the image of God. But Jesus Christ is the image of God. So the Lord told his disciples, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So church, if you want to know what God is like, look nowhere else but to the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 calls him the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. You see, so Jesus not only kept the second commandment by worshiping God in exactly the way God has prescribed, Jesus fulfilled the second commandment by being the perfect image of the invisible God. Jesus lived without sin, kept all the commandments of God, and went to the cross to give his life willingly as a sacrifice for sinners. And God laid on him the sins of the world, and he died, and God raised him on the third day. And all who turn to him in faith, repenting of their sins, will receive mercy and be granted eternal life. So sinner, don't delay. If you've never bowed the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sins and your need for a Savior, do it today. Don't leave this place still in your sin. When you throw your feet, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and confess your need for pardon, you will be saved. You will be united to Christ. You will be given eternal life. And you will become the image bearer that God has made you to be. You see, at salvation... For all of you in this room who are in the Lord at salvation, God filled you with his spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in your life to shape you into the image and likeness of Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we behold the glory of God in Christ, we become like him from one degree of glory to another. We are transformed. The language is we are being transformed into the same 
image. Romans 8.29 says that God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son. And so this tells us that you keep the second commandment by becoming like Christ. We don't make ourselves graven images, but by the chisel of God the Holy Spirit, we ourselves become images. So right worship of the right God in the right way looks like becoming like Christ. We image God rightly when we reflect Christ in our lives. So go, become like Christ and walk out the second commandment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you through your son Jesus to thank you for your son Jesus. For he is the image that you have given. And would you, by your Holy Spirit, make Jesus bigger in our lives, bigger in our minds, bigger in our hearts. And we confess, Lord, that while we may not have sculpted an image of you with our hands, oh, we have certainly misrepresented you with our lives. Lord, we think of all the times when we have been harsh when you're gentle. We've been unforgiving when you're forgiving. We've backed away when you pursued. We condoned when you condemned. We've been selfish when you're selfless. We've been unforgiving when you're forgiving. We've been impatient when you are patient. Lord, please forgive us. Additionally, Lord, we confess that we have attempted in so many ways to reshape you into our image, trying to hide the parts of you that we think people won't like. And in doing this, we have sinned. Will you forgive us for breaking the second commandment? And Lord, will you make us more like Jesus? Will you send your spirit to shape us into the image of your son? Will you give us a sight of the divine glory of Jesus and make us like him? To reflect you in this world that is in such a desperate need to see him. Thank you for hearing us. You always hear us. Please stand to your feet. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, here is your assurance of pardon. First John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor Paul.